was. It was very cold. Um, I don't know how how um, how he dealt with that uh, without without heat. That was that was kind of crazy. But um, so we're starting a new series this morning, Genesis. Um, do we have that first slide, guys? Yes, we may. Um, so we're starting a, a new series in Genesis, and um, it's going to be a nine-week series, guys. And what's interesting is that even though it's nine weeks, even in nine weeks you can't cover everything in Genesis, right? I mean, if you were going to cover everything in Genesis, you'd probably need the entire year, right? And so, um, but we all know that Genesis, um, if you have picked up a Bible, you know that it's the first book of the Bible. Um, but it's, uh, it's the first book in the, of the Bible for two of the major world religions, Judaism and Christianity. But, uh, but the thing is, here's the question, what's in it, right? What's in it? What, do, what does it have to say and how does this teach us about Jesus? You know, this, uh, this nine-week series in Genesis, we're going to look at some of the foundational stories in the first book of the Bible, right? And um, I, I, it sounds like somebody there needs to uh, hear the word of God. And I'm trying to do that for you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, just, just playing around with you. Just teasing. But um, there's so much in this, the first uh, first few chapters of Genesis. You know, I had no idea what direction to go this morning. But um, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask one question throughout the message this morning. And that is, do you believe that God is the source of everything? Do you believe God is the source of everything? Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer, God, just so grateful for all that you do for us. We're grateful for all you've created. Father, we are um, in awe of your work, Father. And I pray that, that as we read your scriptures, we will, our all will not disappear, but it will, it will grow, Father. That we will grow more and more in awe of you and what you've created, Father. God, I pray that um, our heart, hearts will be wide open this morning to your work. I pray that it will move us. I pray the Holy Spirit will convict us. Father, I pray that this will this message will be yours and not my own opinion, and it will be Holy Spirit led. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And so um, what we're going to start with, we're just going to go right into it. You know, we're going to start with um, the first point here in the beginning. In the beginning, God. So let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Amen. And so in, in, the, in the Hebrew, um, in Hebrew Torah, right? Genesis is named for the, as the opening word translated by the English phrase in the beginning. And it, it's, it is the starting point or inception 
of the covenant relationship with God and his people. And Genesis is an anglicized pronunciation of the Latin word for origin. Right? Whether Hebrew or Latin, the point remains the same. The first book of the Bible is about, it's a book about the beginning. And so we can look at that in many different ways. It's, it's the beginning of a series of events. Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the reader of this is immediately, right off the bat, presented with a challenge. Our faith is immediately challenged right away. Do you believe God is the creator of everything? Right away we're challenged. Right in the first verse we're challenged. And we got to ask ourselves, do we, do we believe that God is the creator of everything? Now that's a very packed question. Right? There's a whole lot involved in that question because our belief or lack thereof is going to challenge you all throughout your journey through Scripture. But it is also going to shape your relationship with God and how you consume and apply His God-breathed Word. And so imagine if you don't believe God is the creator of all things and is sovereign over all he created. Imagine how that affects how you think of people. Imagine how it affects your relationship. Imagine how it affects your family. Imagine how it affects your brothers and sisters, your job. Imagine how it affects your school. Imagine how it affects your desires, your needs. Imagine how it affects your health. Imagine how it affects your finances if you really don't believe that God created all things. It affects a whole lot of who we are, what we do, and what we think, what we believe in, other than just the fact that God created all things. You know, Augusto of Hippo, he says, find satisfaction in him who made you, and only then find satisfaction in yourself as part of his creation. You know, the Bible is a historical book that tells about real people and historical events. It's also a book of faith. The first verse of the first chapter of the first book brings these two characteristics into, into stark relief. Historically, everything came into existence because in the beginning God. Yet despite all our study of history and reason, ultimately we have to actively, actively and intentionally trust this creator God, placing ourselves in his hands willingly. But we will only do this if we believe that he is indeed the creator God. If we don't believe he is the creator God, we're not going to willingly put ourselves in his hands. Why would we? But yet sometimes we say, yes, I do believe he's the creator of God, but I won't put myself in your hands. I'll put myself in my own hands. And that's how we live our lives. No scientist or historian can improve upon in the beginning, God. This simple statement refutes atheists who says there is no God. The agnostic who claims we cannot know God. The polytheist who worships 
many gods. The pantheist who says that all nature is God, I've come across that even recently. The materialist who claims that matter is eternal and not created. The fatalist who teaches that there is no divine plan behind creation and history. God's personality is seen in this chapter. For he speaks, he sees, he names, he blesses, he creates. God has left his fingerprints all over creation to say that I am the creator God. God always was and, and he created out of nothing. Yes, creation out of nothing is a difficult concept to understand and accept. Hence why we showed that short video earlier this morning. The video is about a magician's rabbit who will not climb into the, magi the magic hat for the trick. Right? He wants a carrot. That's what he wants before he'll even climb into the hat to perform the trick. The illustration is that creation out of nothing is not a magic trick. With a magician pulling a rabbit out of an empty hat, the rabbit already existed and was always there begging for his carrot. Whereas God made everything out of absolutely nothing. He did so because God and God alone is the true creator. How amazing is that? When we sit back and we think of that and we look around and we think about the fact that God is creator, how does it make you feel about your problems? How does it make you feel about the things going on in your life when you really think about the fact that my God is creator of all things and he is indeed sovereign? Creation reveals so much. Let me, show, let me, just, let me tell you a little bit more about what creation reveals, especially about God. It reveals about a little bit about his wisdom and about his power. In Proverbs 3:19 it says by wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundation by understanding he set the heavens in place. That's a little bit about the power and the wisdom of our God. Also, it it reveals a little bit about his glory. In Psalm 19 verse 1 it says the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim, the skies do proclaim the work of his hands. It also, it also reveals his power and Godhead. Later on, you can look up Romans 1, 18 through 21. It reveals his love for insignificant man. It reveals his love for insignificant man. You know, in Psalm 8... I don't have a slide for this, but verse, starting in verse 3, it says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. It's almost like God just put them there, right in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Brothers and sisters, you are crowned with glory and honor. 
God created you to be crowned with glory and honor. You, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. It says so in Genesis. That the things that were created, God says you rule over those things. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and animals of the wild. The birds of the sky, the fish of the sea. All that swim. The paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Because you are our creator. The other thing is his providential care. Our Lord, when on earth, saw the gracious hand of the Father, even in the flowers and fowl. Matthew 6, 25. You know, when we think of all this, and then we reflect on the things happening in our lives. We got to think differently. The great things that happen in our lives, we got to be super grateful. The things that, that we think are issues in our lives, we got to look back at God and say, you are my creator. And I trust that you easily take care of this. The Hebrew name for God in Genesis 1 is Elohim, the name of God that links him with creation. And the basic root of the name is El, which means mighty, strong, and prominence. Our God is mighty. It says so all over Isaiah that our God is mighty. In Genesis 2, verse 4, we have Lord God which is Jehovah Elohim. Lord God Almighty. Lord God, all strong and all prominent. Jehovah is the covenant name of, of God and links him to his people. It means that he is the self-existing and unchanging God. Do you believe that God is the source of everything. Do you believe it? And so we get to this part where he created and then he rested. Right? This, this creator of everything, he created and then he rested. In Genesis 1, verse, starting verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. Like right there... That just blows my mind. Based on what we've been talking about, about him being the creator. He says, let us make mankind in our image. So if that is true, then we all should feel like we are some sort of creators. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image God of God, he, listen, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
the Bible proceeds to describe the six days of God's creation of the world, right? And that we see that in Genesis 1 through 30, 30, Genesis 1, 1 through 31. And of course, we see this, this, this series of creation. Why? Because we have a God of order. So I'm going to camp out in this for a second. No, more than a second. We have a God of order, right? And so we see this climax of creation. The climax of creation is God bringing into existence his own image bearers, man and woman, who are given dominion over the rest of creation. And we bear this image of God, but what does that mean? It certainly doesn't mean that we look like him. In his love and grace, he molded the first man in his image, referring to man's personality, referring to man's mind, his will, his emotions, his freedom, rather than his physical appearance. And if God is a God of order, we should live disciplined lives of order. Not sloppy, not disorganized. And paying attention to, guess what, even schedules. We haven't been doing a very good job of that, I admit. Starting on time, ending on time. So that's my responsibility, and I take full responsibility. But it's also your responsibility to be here on time. Because we have a God of order. All right? We have a God of order who expects us to bear his image. That's a part of bearing his image. Are you late for work? Cut it out. Be on time. Because if we're going to bear his image, that means we bear his image in everything. We have a God of order. We have a God who is faithful. Are you faithful? We have a God who is kind and loving. Are you kind and loving? We have a God who is just and fair. Are you just and fair? Are we bearing his image? In Colossians 3 verse 10 it says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator. When we were baptized, guess what we did? We put on the new self. We're different. Renewed in the image, the knowledge and the image of it, of our creator. We're a new creation created to bear God's image. Guess what? Jesus is also image of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. It goes on in verse 16. It says, For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, man was 
given the place of dominion over the earth. The highest position in creation. That's the position that we were given. As image bearers, we are to do as God does. Live lives worthy of him. How does your life reflect that you bear God's image? Do you think about it? Do you consider it? I think we can take this for granted at times. Are you creating like God creates? Now, I'm not just saying, I'm not saying that we create arts and crafts. It's not what I'm saying. But we should, we should create great relationships. We should create things between each other and one another. Resting like God rests after you're creating and work. How is your rest going? Are you providing like God provides? Loving like God loves? And sure, no one is above his master, but are we learning from him? Salvation is creation and then a recreation when we're baptized. And then a new creation. And that new creation is, is as much and entirely the work of God as the old creation is. In Genesis 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and did what? Made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Interesting. On the seventh day, God creates the first holiday. The Sabbath. A day of rest that God observes and will then tell humans to observe as well. He commands that we observe it as well. He uses it to encourage everyone to be full image bearers to both create and to rest. And this rest is a part of God's pattern for us, which allows us to do what? To flourish. Because if we don't rest, we cannot flourish. And it's part of being an image bearer. And so of all the days, the seventh day is the only one he calls holy. It's sacred. Yet, Many of us will ignore having a Sabbath or taking a Sabbath. And if you know anything about Yom Kippur, the, the Sabbath of Sabbaths, as it talks about in Leviticus 16.31, where it says, it is a day of Sabbath rest and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. Leviticus 16.31. You know, in Israel... 
with its almost complete suspension of technology, right, on Yom Kippur, there is almost no traffic. Theaters, restaurants, stores, clothes, radio and television stations do not broadcast anything on Yom Kippur. Can you appreciate sacred time? Here in America, I don't think we understand sacred time. We can preach and talk about Sabbath all the time and about resting all the time, but let me tell you, something comes up where we feel like we don't need to rest. That is not important and it's not holy. But when we go there, they shut everything down. So you better do your grocery shopping beforehand. Because it is a sacred time. Guys, do we take these things seriously? Do you believe in what your creator has created? God gifted us the Holy Spirit to help us do what? Create and rest. We have the Holy Spirit as a part of us to help us to do this. To help us to rest. You know, one of the things that I feel like, one of the reasons I feel like we don't rest is because of a lack of faith. Because we feel like if we slow down and if we rest, something, something can't do without us. Something is going to happen if we just rest. So our faith is not there to say, I must rest so that I can flourish. Have you turned off the Holy Spirit? You know, we all know that breathing is essential to life, right? Each of us takes about 20,000 breaths each day. What is amazing about breathing is that it is an involuntary action. Like we don't think, I got to breathe now, 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 let me breathe, let me breathe, let me breathe, let me breathe. We don't even think about it. Our brains are programmed to instinctively monitor the balance between oxygen and carbon dioxide levels. And so when we breathe deeply, our brains send a message to the rest of our bodies to calm down and relax. And when we breathe, we, we can intentionally lower our heart rates and bring down our stress levels. And so according to Mayo Clinic, breathing may help ease symptoms of stress-related disorders and mental health conditions such as anxiety, general stress, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder. Now with all this in mind, Apple has created an app for their watch called Breathe. Now the app reminds users to be mindful and focus on what is important in that moment. And so it will, it will ding on my watch, right? And it will say, okay, are you ready? And then it will count down and I will breathe. Oh, let's all do that. Some of you are having trouble with that. And we will breathe, right? 
and we will and we, and we will take our breath and we'll breathe and we'll calm down. But like I said, the app reminds you to do that. But here's the problem. The problem with the Apple Watch is that notifications can be turned off or simply ignored. But we can do the same thing with the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is the very breath of God, the Lord of God, is that sometimes what we do is we turn it, shut him off. And we don't want to hear him. And so when it comes time to rest, we say, Holy Spirit, I don't want to hear that right now. I got things happening. I got things doing that can't do without me. Now, Genesis 2 may seem confusing, right? It certainly was when I first started reading the scriptures because the reader, you know, we find another account of creation, but in a very different form. And so this is, it's not an inconsistency in the scriptures or it's not a contradiction in the scriptures. And so the, because the Bible is filled with multiple literally John, literary genres um, and they're not limited to particular books but are spread spread across the Bible and even in in Genesis we see different genres even in the one book in Genesis right and so Genesis 1 is a poetic celebration of God creating everything it's poetry and this can be seen through the style and the language in Genesis 1, like any good song, you know, like think of let it be, right? Let it be, let it be. It's just repeated over and over and over. What's that song that you guys just sang to before communion? By and by. You guys said it like, repeated it like over and over. Understand it better by and by, by and by, over and over. And it's just by and by, by and by, by and by. It's repeated over and over and over. And so like any good song, Genesis 1 is filled with repetition. And so you may often hear me repeating myself too, right? I, I, I was told that the other day, and I, I repeat myself a lot. And that's cool. It's not the same kind of repetition though, right? Like I repeat myself because I take my eyes off my manuscript and I, and I go back and I just say the same thing over and over. But anyhow, so the word let is repeated 15 times. And good occurs seven times. But everything... And everything God created was good. And it's so encouraging to see that repetition. And so I want you guys to do me a favor. I want you guys to turn and look at the person next to you and, said, and say, now I want you to look at them. And this is not something I want you to say, but look at them and don't, if you see flaws, just keep that to yourself. But then look at them and said, and I want you to look at them and say, you are good. Right? Now I want you to I want you to look back at that same person because that time you may have saw some flaws or something, but I want you to look back at that same person and look for the great things in their appearance. Look at the great things, look at the beauty and the smile. Look at Melba's smile, right? Look at Melissa's smile, right? And look at the smile, right? And say, You are good. Right? And so, and so why do I want to do that? Why? Because, 
because you are good indeed. Right? You are good indeed. God created us all what? Good. He repeated over and over and over about his creation. God don't make no mistake in what he creates. And he created you good. And so in your relationships, that's how we need to have relationships, is we look at each other and we know that we are all good. There is no flaw in us. We are good. Now, we may make some mistakes once in a while. Guess what? That can be fixed because we have the Holy Spirit and we were created good. Say, we are good. Amen. And so in Genesis 2 is a narrative of a historical account of creation. And both affirm the fact that God is the creator. But they tell this origin story through different literary styles. Do you believe that God is the source of everything? That God created you good. He created everything good. He makes no mistakes in what he does. And so we can can live lives knowing that even the things that happen in our lives that may seem negative, that we have a creator that created everything good. The story of the Bible is a bit like a coin funnel. You can find that you can find in science museums, right? You know, the story's story's focus goes from the extremely broad that we see here in Genesis. All of creation. And it narrows to humanity. It again narrows from humanity down to a people, Israel. And then from Israel, it eventually goes down to one family line, the family of David. And so as the focus of God narrows and narrows and narrows, his purposes can be seen more clearly. Because guess what? As that narrows and narrows, and as we would see a coin going down that funnel, guess where it ends? Guess where it narrows down to? You and me. That is the story of the scriptures. And so this will be revealed as our study of Genesis continues, keeping in mind that you are a part of that funnel too. And so I hope that we will enjoy this series for nine weeks. I know it sounds long, but Genesis is a full book. And it has so many amazing stories. And I pray that you will read it along with me until April. And to God be the glory. Amen. Thank you, J.D.